So much of what we learn about love is taught by people who never really loved us. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my shit show, shit show nation! What's up, peeps? <laughs> What's up, peeps? Uh, for any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I'm a shit show, and I am an acquired taste. Okay, so so no hard feelings if I'm not your cup of tea. So today we are diving deep with friend of the pod, an audience fave. Uh, Mr. Fix Your Picker, Adam Moroskis. For his third appearance here on Adult Child, I will include the links to his other two appearances in the show notes if you haven't checked those out. So the first time he was on, we really got to hear his story. And then uh, when he was on last year, we dove deep into attachment theory. And that was, I think that was either number one or number two most popular episode of 2022. So go listen to that shit. And today uh, we are discussing some of our, our staple topics here, right guys? How our childhood fucks up our romantic life in adulthood <laughs> and what the hell to do about it. And we're also talking about the 12 steps and how for people with um, a lot of unresolved trauma, how the 12 steps could be potentially harmful or damaging, especially from the perspective of, you know, when we're, when we're doing a fourth and fifth step in AA and NA, the focus is really on us and specifically looking for what are our character defects as it relates to these resentments and fears and sexual um, inventory. But one thing that I touched upon when I did my episode on steps six and seven as it relates to an adult child perspective, you know, a lot of these things that I once viewed as character defects I then learned were actually trauma responses. And before realizing that, I had a lot of shame. I had a lot of shame as to why these quote-unquote character defects kept showing up on my inventories over and over and over again, despite asking God to remove them from me, only to later realize that... um this is trauma. <laughs> this is trauma that is embedded within my nervous system. And obviously our higher power can do some some really magical things, but um, in, in my personal opinion, I don't think that we can just pray away our trauma. And then we're also talking about how a lot of these survival instincts, a lot of these coping skills that we were forced to take on as kids in order to survive, they actually often become uh, barricades, barriers to healing in adulthood. So I'm going to keep my part short because actually, folks, I am going on a date tonight and I have a funny story as it relates to that. So uh, first date tonight 
And so this gentleman, he called me on the phone yesterday, props for the phone call, even though I told him that he needed to call me, (laughs) even though I I instructed that that was required. Uh, But still, he follows directions, guys. Um, So we're chatting and something comes up about my podcast. It says on my profile, just like podcast host and producer. Uh, I don't say what my podcast is, but at this point, guys, if you just put in, like, Andrea podcast, I'm pretty sure that you will find me on Google. Um, so he said, oh, so what's your podcast about? And I said, it's about dysfunctional families. And then he fessed up because, actually, I've, I already listened to one of your episodes. <laughs> like, okay, which episode did you listen to? And he said, it was the one just recently uh, about, like, dating and dating apps. And I was like, you listened to the one with Dr. Morgan. So, guys, in this episode, I, I didn't go back and listen to it all. But basically, what I do know that I talk about in this episode is that I, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to reel it in on a first date. I don't know how to, um, to not... Um, share everything on a first date. I don't know how to get, I don't know how to not get super deep and vulnerable on a first date and how that could possibly freak freak some people out. Uh, So he knows that, guys. He knows that. I said, well, good news is that um, at least you know uh, what you're getting yourself into. I said, it is going to take a strong and secure man to handle all this. And, oh, the other thing that's funny, too, is so we're going to a concert tonight. And so if you remember in that episode, one of the suggestions that Morgan made to me, she was like, maybe you could do something really extreme on the first date so you won't be so extreme. (laughs) She was like, maybe you could go skydiving. And so I told him, I said, that's so funny. I was like, I was thinking, you know, a concert, it's not skydiving. But it's close enough, right? It's, it's close enough. But let's be honest, like I'm going to be in my full element at a concert. I mean, you guys have already heard many stories of, of what I am like at a concert. So he's getting 100% Andrea tonight, folks, okay? <laughs> he's getting it. He's getting it. But the good news is, um, is he's, he's, I think he's very aware of that. And I said today in the, in the Patreon group that, he he still wants to go on this date with me after listening to that podcast episode. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news. <laughs> I don't know what that says about him. Um, so he knows what he's getting himself into, is needless is what I'm trying to say. Um, so let's get on with the episode. A few things first. Number one, so I made an announcement to my existing Patreon members about the new community that I'm launching, The Shit Show, which is coming up soon. Um, I am upgrading this shit. So basically, I sent out a survey to everyone in the Patreon uh, a couple months ago to just get their feedback. How can I improve this community? How can you get more out of this? And so I also had several focus groups with people in the community and just took all of their input and suggestions and have been designing this new community, which is going to be not on Patreon, but on a platform called Mighty Networks, which is kind of the top 
online community platform out there right now. So this will be a, a one-stop shop. Uh, we're going to be able to do a lot of different things in there. I'm offering a lot more features and benefits, and I will provide all y'all with more information on that either in the Shit Show Saturday episode or uh, in next week's episode. But I am super pumped. But it's scary because this is me, you know, leveling up. This is me stepping closer to my my big dreams and my big visions. And that's that's really exciting. But as we know, that's, you know, equally as scary. And this whole process, I shared this with um, with the Patreon community, this whole process of building this has brought up just a lot of fear and a lot of resistance. So again, I just want to thank each and every one of you for providing me this opportunity to continue to heal my shit uh, with the support of you all in such a very public way. So <laughs> thank you for for supporting me on this journey. Um, I couldn't do it without you guys. And I love each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart, even if I don't know you. I promise I love you. So stay tuned for that. Give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod, Bod, at Adult, adult Child Bod. Shout out Tiffany Bod. That's what we call Tiffany, Tiffany Carter. She's, uh, her nickname is Bod, B O D. Um, at Adult Child Pod, not Bod. And give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. You know that th this is a requirement, okay? So let's hop to it. Love you. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, folks, he's back. Adam Morris is on the podcast. <laughs> you did. I told him I was going to do it wrong. Adam Roskis, Mr. Picture Picker, also known as Adam Morocco. Welcome. Machakalakis. <laughs> I get all kinds of things. Yeah, I bet you do. Back in the building. It's my third time. I love it. Buckle up. Folks. Love what you're doing, Andrea. You are crushing it. You are saving lives. You are spreading across the globe. There are people selling forbidden books at a dingy shop that disappears as well. <laughs> That's right. I'm proud of you. You're doing good. Yo. <laughs> um any updates that you want to give us on your life? Updates on my life. I'm still living in the country of Panama with my lovely wife. And um, what else is happening? Does your power still go out all the time? Oh, it does actually. And, and BT dubs, if, if, if my internet goes out, I'll like call you or <laughs> get on my phone or something. We'll make it happen. Has but it gotten any better or it's the same? It's the same. I mean, the, the one thing that you can be sure of in, in this country is just inconsistency, like supply chain, power, water, like any anything is kind of a hit or miss. And uh, I kind of like it. I, I like that. Living on the edge, baby. 
yeah yeah and, and it, it forces you into a state of of surrender and acceptance and flexibility and just um I mean my, my wife and I have this thing that I forget we picked it up from somebody but uh stuff happens and we just look at each other and go every day a new indignity you know like <laughs> our, our fridge went out and the freezer all melted the other day on Easter actually and so you know there's nothing we could do about it and couldn't even go buy ice uh and um, because everything was closed, everything was closed. In fact, during Semana Santa here, they they rope off during the Holy Week prior to to Easter. They rope off all of the liquor sales mm. with like caution tape. And there's like, you know, a, a, a thing posted from the mayor that's like, you know, we're not we're not selling booze during this sacred week. And I was like, that shit would never happen in the United States. <laughs> That might be a good little side biz. You could sell booze to people during that week. Maybe I'd get beheaded. We don't know. It, yeah, a little side yeah, hustle. We'll um, yeah. What was I going to ask you? Something about there. I don't know. Okay. So I recently had on, her name's Dr. Morgan Anderson. I've had her on before. She's also like a dating and attachment chick. Yeah. I'm familiar with her. She's good. Yeah. She's great. And we talked a lot about dating and stuff like that. I'm curious what your, this is one thing that I asked her about. What are your suggestions related to like dating apps? Like when you're working one-on-one with individuals, what sort of guidelines do you give them as far as like how to operate apps? Wow. Um, It's not a huge part of my job, believe it or not, but... Uh, when it does come up, it's it's a very individual thing. It depends on the person. You know, if someone is prone to selling some fake manicured version of themselves, either one, dating apps may just not be a good idea for them in general. But two, uh, if they are going to do that, I'll kind of coach them through um, what honesty and vulnerability looks like, not oversharing, not undersharing, not like tap dancing for snuggles and putting up fake you know, like just this kind of social media version of themselves, mm-hmm. right? Because if you need to like sell something, um, I, I don't know. I, I think dating apps are are, are tough. They, I think they can be useful for some people, um, but it's such a cold, dehumanizing, swipey dopamine machine that's um it's it's unnatural i think it's you know human beings have have been meeting each other in real life for millennia and now there's a thousand people in your pocket you know like it's 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 i know but now people aren't meeting each other because of that even like out at bars and stuff that like i mean i don't think that guys approach women in the way that they once did Mm -hmm. you know like why risk walking up to a woman and having her reject you when you can just swipe left and swipe right on your phone, you know? Like just- exactly. No, I, I just listened to Esther Perel's book, The State of Affairs. She's one of my heroes, love her. But she said something about how um, like porn mm-hmm. uh, takes away, and I'm, I'm going to tie this into the dating app. Uh, it, it, it takes away all of the, the terrifying elements of sexual shame and performance and vulnerability and all the things that uh, men are most deeply afraid of. There's a lot of 
um, worth attached to how a man performs in, in, in the bedroom. And mm -hmm. so it's like so much easier and less risky to just like look at a screen and rub one out than to have to show up for that terrifying human experience. Right. And I think in a similar way, uh, dating apps do, do a thing like that where like you don't have to show up and be an actual real person in front of somebody that you can hide behind this screen. And, and I think on a, a larger scale, all of the, the greatest entrepreneurial, like all the billion dollar industries are selling ways to avoid the uncomfortability of being human. Mm. Mm hmm. Yep. That's right. <laughs> like all of them. Like if, if you can come up with a way for me to avoid uncomfortable feelings, to avoid being authentic, to avoid facing my, my trauma or do, doing my own healing work or anything to avoid being human, <laughs> you know, anything to, to skirt those, those rough edges of, of the human experience and, and kind of, you know, make them pretty and smell pretty and look pretty and, you know, I, I think that's uh, people are making a lot of money selling those goods and wares. This might be like an unpopular thing for me to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways, because <laughs> that's what I mean, I've never seen. You, I've never seen you with a filter on. So, <laughs> OK, so like when it comes to like these apps, like these face tuning apps, it like literally change the way that you look. And I told my friend, I said, that's really not fair to attractive people because like, that's like if somebody's smart <laughs> and then I just decide to put on my resume that I went to Harvard, that wouldn't be okay. Would it? Right. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> not fair to attractive people. You can't go from community college to Ivy league on your pictures. <laughs> that's hilarious. I like that. That's, that's funny. I'm sure I'm sure you'll get there's plenty of, of medium ugly people that'll that'll show up on your porch with pitchforks and tiki torches. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the, the interesting thing. I, I just saw it because I auto publish to like all the social media platforms. I just like write a post and then just click a button and it goes to all the other ones. And uh, I saw that there's a, an, an AI caption writer now. Mm -hmm. where you don't even have to create your own content. You can just like click a button and it'll write a caption for you. And I was like, dang. Like, chat, chat GPT. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Very interesting. Two questions that I've got from my community that wanted to know. Well, I asked two people if they had specific questions for you and they both basically said the exact same thing. Strategies for not letting the feel-good hormones override common sense and red flag detection? Mm, that's great. That's a brilliant question. All right, let's get into it. Um, well, first, let me say <clears throat> that I had, I had the experience of in the past of being like, I'm going to stay single for this amount of time. And, you know, and I'm committed and I'm going to work on myself. And then like having a girlfriend the next day. Right. <laughs> so like that didn't work out. Uh, and then I had um, the experience of like writing a list, right? Like write the list of what does your perfect partner look like? And, 
And then also that not working as soon as some dysfunctional person was like, hey, you're cute. And I was like, sweet. And just threw the list out the window. And so I realized there is definitely some like physiological compulsive behavior going on um, behind a lot of these things. Um, so I can offer some some tips and tricks of things you can try. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it may be that there's some some unresolved relational trauma in there that you need to work on. Like yeah, the, the unsexy answer is like, oh, if you have an anxious attachment style, like that's born out of some kind of relational uh, trauma of abandonment or, you know, something that's it's deep rooted, you know, and it's, it's it doesn't just go away because your nervous system is wired a specific way. So but with you making that point, what is a red flag from the perspective of like, listen, you, you, you probably are, are not ready to date. So we do a lot of our healing work single, and then we have to do a lot of healing work in relationship. Right. And so uh, I don't think anyone is fully healed before they start dating again. In fact, I remember when I was deep in my, healing and therapy and all of the work I was doing uh, at one point my therapist was like hey Adam you got to start dating again because like we we don't know if all this shit is working or not the only way we're going to find out is if you get out there and, and we'll see what happens um so what is a red flag of of when you're not ready to date anymore um well I don't know anymore but like for the, at, the or at, at the moment yeah <laughs> when you're you're not ready to date. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hang up the spurs yeah um no um i think if it's if you experience triggering emotional flooding compulsive trauma response level experiences around dating then you're gonna date like a lizard it's just straight animal savagery trauma response lizard brain like it's not you're, you're not gonna do any functional healthy adult decision making so um yeah if you're like oh i'm gonna get out there a little bit and you and you, you know you're you're mingling with someone and they like don't text back for a couple hours and you go into a flaming shit spiral like probably not ready yet champ you know like if you can't function and you just get all consumed with oh my god what is this person doing right now or or whatever the the thing is whatever you're whatever your bag is. Well, I think that's going to come up, but I think it's because that's happened to me like a year ago, but I was at a place where I was able to like recognize that I was having a trauma response and kind of work through it. Yes. If you can do that, because healing doesn't mean you're not triggered anymore. Like Mm -hmm. that's not healed. Healed is when you get triggered and you have the tools and the resources to, to process it, to move through it, to come out on the other side of it and, and make some, some good decisions. But if you get swept up in in one of those triggering trauma response kind of things and you just, uh, you know, lose hours or days and there's no no effective mental defense, so to speak, you know, like you're not you got no tools. So painful. You know, like, yeah. But so some things you, you can do. And again, this is you're you're fighting against your your physiology here. But um yeah, I, I do have people make the list and, and it's a lot, I think a lot more effective than the list I made in the past that, that didn't work out. I have like a super thorough 
fix your picker workbook, basically on, on my website that um, goes through all kinds of diagnostics and, you know, what kind of fear, you know, did you grow up on and what did, what did love look like for you? And it's, it's a deep dive inventory. Um, and it comes up with like, what are, what are the five most important things for you to have in a partner? And the sixth thing that everyone gets is my partner needs to be uh, willing to own and work on their crap. Mm -hmm. Like someone who's not willing to grow, who's not willing to take responsibility and, and do work, the the work of healing and self-discovery and change and growth. Like that's, you have to do that. If you're not willing to do that, um, then you don't have two willing partners because you don't find a relationship. You build a relationship and you need two people to do it. Right. So anyway, so if you, you come up with this list and there's a list of deal breakers, non-negotiables and stuff. Yeah. And if you can just stick to the list and be like, Hey, this person doesn't, doesn't check the boxes. And so here, here's what I shared. I like this analogy. I shared this with a client recently and it was helpful. Um, if you're just out looking for some like, you know, uh, random or arbitrary, like I'm looking for a partner. Um, anybody you meet could be that. But if you have a specific idea of, of who this person is, you'll be able to look for them. Like, say, for example, you lost a, a pair of keys. You have a set of keys. You know exactly what they look like and you misplace them. You know that they exist. You know what they look like. There's, you, you know exactly what they are. And so if you're looking around the house and you pick up, you know, a socket wrench, you're like, oh, this is my keys. You put it down. You pick up a gym sock. Well, that's not the keys. You put them down. Like, you know exactly what to look for. And you don't waste any time holding shit that ain't your keys, mm-hmm. right? Until you find them. And if you can date like this and you're not, you know, spending a bunch of time with someone going, hmm, I wonder if this person is my keys or not. Like, if you know exactly what your keys look like, you will spend a whole lot less time with like, well, maybe, maybe this is keys. Maybe this ham sandwich I'm holding is a set of keys. Like, no, it's not. Put it down next. Like you love ham sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, it could be the key to your heart. But um, so, yeah, I, I think we spend a whole lot of time kind of doing this ambiguous dance of like, you know, maybe this person is right for me and we can make it work. Right. And so, when I was dating years ago and practicing new, this new strategy, um, it was helpful for me, actually. Do you remember what was on your list? Like, do you remember what your five were? I couldn't tell you off the top of the head, but um, but they were like principles, you know, integrity, honesty, compassion, whatever, you know, fancy stuff like that. So it should be characteristics, not like this person, I don't know, like as a college education, like would stuff like that not be okay? Well, so in this workbook, I have people write everything. They write out all of the things. And then I have them boil it down to what are the five things. Okay. Right. Just like what are, because sure, there's a list of a hundred things that would be fantastic for me to have in a partner, but you know, we're, we're human and flawed and you know, there are no unicorns basically, but I know there are plenty of people out there who can check at least five boxes for me or six. Right. Um, But yeah, I was dating someone who was, and like we went on like two dates um, and she checked all the boxes. She was fantastic. And and it was great. And, um, and she shared that she like wanted to raise her children in the Catholic church. 
And uh, and I was like, you know, I'm spiritual and I pray and meditate and I'm, I'm in all kinds of spirituality and stuff. And so I was trying to sell myself on it. But then I was like, wait a second, I'm like, like not going to be super fired up to like raise my kids in the Catholic church, you know, um, not for any particular reason, like, you know, against Catholicism, but I was just like, that's not who I am. That's not me. That's dishonest for me to be like, sure, that's great. Cause then, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, when I'm like secretly resentful at my Catholic wife, you know, it's going to be a terrible thing. And, uh, and I was like, man, this is a deal breaker. Uh, but no, it was such an adult thing. And so I'll also say that prior to this experience, I had never actually dated before. I just took hostages. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I didn't know that there was a thing called dating where you, you go have conversations with people right? Like you sit down across the table with someone and you get to know them before, you know, you exchange bodily fluids and things like this. And uh, yeah, you get to know them and you like assess, Hey, do we have long-term compatibility? Do you check the boxes? You know, am I, am I, am I feeling you? And um, not just, I need a person, my bed is empty or like, I need validation or like, do you think I'm worthy? You know, there's, there's a lot of things that drive those experiences that if you don't deal with those, they're going to drive those experiences. They're going to drive your dating. They're going to make you this hungry, like you ever gone shopping when you were starving and you're like buying all kinds of reckless shit, low nutrition. You're buying like marshmallow fluff and like all kinds of random things, right? Like don't go shopping when you're hungry, like eat a sandwich and then go shopping. Eat the ham sandwich. Um, eat the ham sandwich, right? And so if you're emotionally starved, if you're living with chronically unmet emotional needs and you go on a date with anyone, Ted Bundy, you know, anyone, they're going to meet some emotional needs for you. And you're going to say, yes, I feel so good right now. <laughs> you know, And you're going to associate that good feeling with this person sitting across from you. It could be an axe murderer. We don't know. Like you, you have to be a whole person in order to be in a position to say no. Mm. right mm. if you're like i i desperately need attention or affection or validation or whatever you know like anyone like a monkey can give you that and so you're going to end up dating all kinds of whoever and and compromising and so this this i'm speaking from experience compromising your integrity and your values just because you need what this other person has i had a friend who, who used to say that um her low her self-esteem was so low that you just had to the patter on the head and her panties would drop, <laughs> you know, just a little bit of attention, just a little, a little bit. It's all, all it takes. So um, how did we get here? You asked me a question. Well, right? I was asking you for tools on like how do people not get totally sucked in and become obsessive? Yes. Okay. So yeah, making the list. That's a good thing. Also having um, a solid friend group of relatively mature healthy human beings that you can vet mm -hmm. someone through right um because if you if you get swept away in this like fun new exciting relationship and you're like not telling your friends about it that's a red flag in mm. there yeah so so being able to bring someone around your friends and then later ask your friends hey no bullshit Tell me the truth. What did you think about this person? And question two, what did you think about me with this person? Mm -hmm. And see what they have to say. Mm -hmm.
you know, and if, and, and this is challenging. So I, I wrote an article called the inherent pitfalls of dating. that just talks about how dating is a fundamentally dishonest thing, right? Like no one rolls out of bed all peasy looking and just goes on a date. Like we polish up to a high shine. We, we prep, we, we put on our a game, you know, we, we present this manicured version of ourselves and we're like really trying to sell all of the best that we are, you know, to this other person. And it's, it's inauthentic. It's not real, but, and it's, it's just part of the game. It's part of the dating game, you know? And so once you realize that you'll stop being like, oh my God, I found a unicorn and I never felt this way before. It's so magical. You can let go of all that shit and know that you're not going to meet someone on a first date. You're going to meet the representative. Mm. And and this is why, like, you have to you have to go on several dates to like really start chipping away of like, all right, who who is this per- person actually? And if if the only time you're seeing them is like at some you know prearranged time and date at some nice restaurant or whatever, like even that within itself is kind of artificial. Like, what would it be like to go on a date with them when they have a flat tire or like? their cat just died or like, you know, when life is happening, who are they then? So it's, yeah, it, it takes a while to kind of triangulate who is this person. And so um, I think it's important for, in order to date well, you have to be able to have that boundary with the other person and with yourself of like, hey, we're going to go on, you know, five or 10 dates or whatever it is. Uh like I, I need to get to know you before we're all smoochy smoochy and um because there's a lot of people that that jump right into the physical, um, which I think is the last thing you should jump into, right? Like you should get to know them and understand them and trust them and develop some reliability and, and credibility. And there's a lot that should come before exchanging bodily fluids. This guy, uh, what's his name? John Vanette, who has this model of uh, the relationship attachment model where he's got these uh, like five knobs on an equalizer. What's his name? Turn- John Vanette? I think that's his, his name. Um, let me see if I can bring up this this thing here. Let me make sure. Um, but let me make sure. But there's, there's five things that you should turn up in chronological order and physical connection is like the last one. So yeah, John Van Epp, he says, there's no, like get to know them first. That's the first knob you start, you start turning up, then trust, then rely, then commit, then touch. And so it's, it's a sliding knob, right? Like it's not a a switch. You don't go from zero to sex. Right. And so, yes, there's you slide it up slightly with, you know, some hug, handhold, kiss, whatever. Um, but that should be the last the n- last knob to get cranked all the way up. I'm going to I just have you read his book. I'm, I just downloaded it. How to avoid falling in love with the jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't read it yet. But, yeah, it's it's on, on the to read list. There's so many good books out there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, OK, I have two questions that are kind of for me. Number one, you talked about like people showing up as their representative. I yes. think I have the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah, oh? I think I need to learn how to be a, more of a representative. <laughs> <laughs> it's just who I am. I like give it all. 
(laughs) And so it's like trying to figure out how do I still show up as me, but then how do I also hold back a little bit? And I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Um, Healthy is always in the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think this is just <laughs> a, a situation where moderation is warranted. And I, I know that we have challenges with with moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's great. Your authenticity and this, I literally texted you like two two days ago and said, this is one of the things I love most about you is you're, you're you. Like you don't have to plan and prep and pretend and polish. You're, just, you're you and you just bring it. And I love it. It's awesome. And um, <laughs> yeah, on, on a first date, um, yeah, like I said, there's this game <laughs> that that we're all playing of like, yeah, let's I need to learn how to play it. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, and not not that you need to act or be dishonest, no, but no. you know, if you can dial dial it back just a tad, maybe I don't or maybe not. Or like or be yourself, goddammit. You know, like I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's a great way to filter out people. Mm. on a first date who like aren't about authenticity and vulnerability and being real because there's a lot of people that aren't into that at all they want this fake little like you know white picket fence life and that's what they're looking for they want to create kind of a shared delusion with someone and uh yeah if you're like hey this is me you know i sell forbidden books at a dingy (laughs) shop You know, if they can't hang, they're like, good riddance. You don't need that person. That's not, that's not your person. Very true. Okay. So. (laughs) Okay. Question two. Okay. Like, so let's say someone wants to be in a relationship. They go on a date with somebody who doesn't check all the boxes, but you like spending time with them. You say, hey, I'm just going to like date this person casually. While I continue to date other people, is that too much of a slippery slippery soap slope for people who have a history of being in relationships that they shouldn't be in? <laughs> yes, it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, definitely. Cheryl Strayed said, "As long as you're in a relationship that doesn't meet your needs, you're in a relationship that doesn't meet your needs." Mm. Right, and and I think. Yeah, I think just being with someone that you know isn't your keys, that you know doesn't check your boxes, I think it's dangerous that, um, yeah, you can start to sell yourself on this idea of it's not so bad and this could work. And if I can, well, here's something that happens with a lot of people. if They they prop a relationship up with their own self-abandonment and their own self-sacrifice, their own codependency, their own whatever dysfunction, fill in the blank. But there's a relationship that on its own would not be good enough, but they like boost it with um, with self-abandonment. You know, they boost it by like sweeping their needs under the rug or by lying to themselves or others or making excuses or tolerating shitty behavior, whatever it is. It would be they, like me dating a guy that's five foot eight, but like making him wear five inch heels every time we go out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. Um but yeah, we can we can lie to ourselves. And, and this is this is one of the biggest problems, I think, on earth is is being dishonest with ourselves. Um, and maybe even not being dishonest, but like dissociating, being mm-hmm. like, I, I can't deal with this. I can't face the fear of, 
you know, dying alone, which is <laughs> where most fears go. <laughs> By the way, if you do a, a thorough fear inventory and you're like, why am I afraid of, you know, public speaking? You're like, oh, well, it's because maybe people won't like me. And if they don't like me, then like no one, I won't have friends and I'll be isolated and this and that. And at the end of the day, it's like, then I'll die alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like all fears kind of funnel into that. And that, and that's really what, what, what shame is, right? Like love and belonging are irreducible human needs. And so shame is this fear of not belonging, this fear of not being lovable, of, of not being connected with people. And shame drives a lot of buses, makes us do a lot of crazy shit. And it makes us tolerate terrible relationships. Yeah. And I don't even mean like, I mean, just like if you're casually dating somebody, and you're not in a relationship. But what I'm thinking is like, is that, well, first that's taking up space and energy like within. And also it also is a energy thing and like what we're exuding too. it by continuing to spend time with somebody who doesn't check those boxes, even though you might tell yourself, this isn't my person. Is that in and of itself, in a way, blocking us from the person that we do want to be with? Yeah. Yes, I think you nailed it. Both externally and internally, that's a problem. Externally, we're, we're putting out vibes of like, hey, I date people that are almost good enough. You know, like mm. that's cool. Mm. And uh, and I'm, you know, I'm taking up my emotional real estate with this thing that's not my forever. Um, and yeah, I'm blocking whatever better person could be coming my way because I'm spending time with this schmuck. Um, and then also internally, you're telling yourself, low key, hey, you don't deserve better. You can't do any better than this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is all you're worth or, or whatever. Um, <clears throat> there's this idea in, in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. I'm just reading that now. Love that book. That dude's a, a champion. But he talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, how change happens from our identity. You know, that like if you're if you're a smoker who's trying to quit smoking, you're a smoker. You know, and you're like, wow, I'm just trying to not smoke, even though I'm a smoker. But when you when you shift your identity to I'm a non-smoker, then you're, you're not a you're, you're not a smoker. You know, like it's it, it changes internally. The change happens internally and then shows up externally. And this Bruce Lipton says that your life is a printout of your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. I love that visual of like my my reality is just this printout of the shit that I'm carrying around inside of me. And so. I have this habit of this atomic habit, which atomic meaning very small and doable, but also atomic meaning powerful of I do push-ups every day, right? Like 20, 30, 40 push-ups, whatever. Um, and it, you know, some days I, you know, run a couple miles and do a whole big workout or whatever, but like at the very minimum, every single day for several years now, I'll at least like before I climb into bed, go, you know what, let me just hit the deck and do a couple push-ups. And what's happening is I'm telling my brain. Hey, I'm someone who cares about my health and fitness. Mm. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not like getting swole because I did 20 push-ups, <laughs> but I'm telling myself, and this is James Clear says, every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you want to be. Mm. So when I do 20 push-ups, I'm voting for being a healthy human being who cares about his health and his fitness and his physical body. And it's it's super powerful. And it, that 20 push up habit that I started, I don't know, four or five, six years ago. Um, now, like 
I run basically a mile a day and I think running is stupid. I don't even know why I run, but it's, it's, it's a healthy thing, right? It's, it's, it's good for my diabetes. It's good for my metabolism for, for it's good for me. So I do it. Um, and I work out like I've, I'm in the best shape of my life. And it all started with this dumb little, you know, push up habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. So, so yes, there's a lot going on internally when you give your time to someone who's not a loser. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic about it. A loser, a bum, someone who's not yeah. worth your time. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, medium ugly. And this, you know, it's it's like they say, you're the average of the five people you spend your time with. Right. So like who you surround yourself with, like that's you. Yes. So if you're like, I'm gonna date losers. Like, (laughs) and that—that's the thing. I'll throw this out there because this is is an opportune moment. Um, People don't like this, but I have come to believe this to be a universal law that we date at our own emotional level. Mm -hmm. And it may not look that way. And there's people that are like, "That's not true," and blah 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 because you could look at like an alcoholic and a codependent and see the alcoholic is this flaming wreckage and the codependent is this super patient nice caring wonderful saint of a person and you're like they're not on the same emotional level yeah they're both sickies yeah they are they're both it just looks different it looks different (laughs) and you'll see this in anxious avoidant pairs where like the anxious is like oh i'm been victimized you know by these evil avoidance and that's not what's happening (laughs) at all you're both the people that have learned through adverse childhood experiences that relationships aren't safe and you adapted in different ways. But you're the same, you're the opposite side of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we date at our own emotional level. God damn it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Bam. And so people are like, how can I date a better person? Become one. Uh, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Like you want to date a healthy person. You have to become the healthiest version of yourself. And that's the the level at which you date at. And if you're in a relationship with someone who kind of sucks uh, and you do a whole bunch of healing work and growth and, and you become healthier, you're going to look at your partner one morning and go, ew, mm-hmm. why am I with this emotional child? <laughs> you know, like Why am I dating this train wreck? And then the, the relationship crumbles. You can't be in different emotional brackets. Mm-hmm. So, spot on. Yeah. Okay, yeah, let's, the way- let's pivot. Let's pivot to what some of your notes that you had jotted down. Okay. So, let's talk about what you and I were texting about, like limitations, like around 12 steps and how it could be really, I don't want to say harmful, but in a way, especially like in AA. You know, in ACA, when you do a fourth and fifth step, there is more of a, a a look as well at what was done to you and like not taking a part in that. But like somebody who's experienced a ton of trauma that's unresolved, sitting down to do a fourth step where you're supposed to solely be focused on like what your part is in things. I think that that could be very re-traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> that that could be re-traumatizing. Um, and this is this is I've been thinking about this a lot lately of how everyone's healing journey is is very unique 
Mm -hmm. right? Like everyone has their own path. And um, it's, I think, kind of silly to, to criticize and critique and cancel other people's version of doing the work, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever's helping them. Mm -hmm. um, like, that's fine. Like, yeah, AAs, you know, there's millions of people who've, who are sober with time living purposeful lives. And like, that's great. And it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, my, my experience has been uh, with with people who are deeply traumatized. Uh, it's tough to to join some jolly 12 step group where they're all holding hands and singing Kumbaya. And it's, you know, it looks like a religious cult or something. And um, here's a bunch of old stodgy white guys. And like, it, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it could be triggering for for a lot of people. I mean, I had I had a guy. um I was working with who was a combat veteran and he was fresh back from Iraq mm. and um, saw a lot of gnarly shit and was, yeah, he, he was rough. And so, yeah, I, I tried taking him to a meeting and he, he had a different experience than I did. I mean, mm. he, he got there, he was casing the perimeter, doing body counts, remembering license plate numbers and shit. And he had his, his back against wall hoodied up by the, by the exit. Like he was, he was in a war zone. And I was like, Oh, this is not, uh, <laughs> this may not be helpful for you, sir. <laughs> you know, like it's not for everybody, but, but yeah, I hear you when that, that fourth column in the, the AA inventory where they say, what's your part. Um, that can be very difficult for people who are like molested as children. You know, and the the only way to explain that is like, hey, my part doesn't mean how did I cause this? Mm -hmm. My part means how am I carrying this now? Mm -hmm. You know, like, yes, I was victimized. I was abused. Terrible things happened to me. And now my part is, am I inflicting this on everyone? Am I getting therapy? Am I, you know, how am I just self-medicating and harming everyone around me? Am I just passing this, you know, hurt people, hurt peopling? You know, what, what am I doing with it? it? It sucks, you know, and I can't justify the, the horrible things that, that happen to people. And I've certainly heard a lot of stories of, of awful traumatic shit. Um, and what are we doing to heal? Right. Jen Sincero said, it's not your fault for being fucked up. It's your fault for staying fucked up. This sounds kind of insensitive and. But yeah, I mean, at some point you got to take some measure of personal responsibility for, oh my God, a terrible thing happened to me. And, and now it's my responsibility. You know, it's like trash in your yard. It's not your trash, but it's your yard. You clean the shit up mm -hmm. and it's hard. And so th this is another thing. So relational trauma, which, you know, arguably like damn near all trauma is relational trauma has to be healed relationally, right? Like if you have this if you have this experience in your bones that relationships are terrible and people can't be trusted and the world's not a safe place. Uh, and you have to heal that through having safe, trustworthy relationships with, with people. You know, it's almost like if you have a, a, a death, deathly fear of flying in an airplane and the only way to heal that is like get on an airplane, <laughs> you know, and do, do therapy in the plane. You know, so it's this terrible dilemma of of how, how how do I heal this thing that you know my my traumatic experience has wired me 
to not trust people, mm-hmm. right? Like that is the dilemma mm-hmm. of how, how to, I mean, trauma. So all forms of trauma, and I'm, I'm assuming your listeners have a pretty solid idea of what trauma is all about. It's not necessarily a, a war in Iraq, but trauma is mm-hmm. all kinds of abuse and abandonment and neglect and dysfunction and parentification and codependency and just, and you know, ACA, you know, dysfunctional family systems, a whole lot of traumatic things going on in there. And trauma, if you think about a specific traumatic event, your nervous system says, holy shit, I have to do something, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Like there's this immediate response, which any way you cut it, because there's a lot of different ways to to adapt and, you know, a lot of different stress responses, but there are all forms of self-reliance. They're like, I have to do something to escape this awful powerlessness. And so this self-reliance, you know, over time amounts to essentially a, a clinical deficiency in faith, mm-hmm. you know, in, in humanity and in, in God and in, in anything, you know, this like just abject self-reliance that's created out of traumatic experiences. And so the people who need help are least likely to reach out to another human being for help. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I think this is like one of the, the greatest challenges in the, the large picture of the healing of people and the healing of humanity at large. It's like, how do we get people to want the help that they need to even be able to receive the help that they need? Well, yeah. And part of it too is I just had on Irene Lyon, who's like a nervous system expert, and she was just talking about how. It's not only wanting help, it's not only wanting to heal, but it it also requires that there's a part of you that thinks that you're worthy of it as well. And that's Mm. hard. Yeah. That's uh, one of my favorite things that, that Bruce Perry shared who's a trauma expert. Mm -hmm. Um, He talked about this, this thing that we hear all the time that you can't love anyone until you love yourself first or whatever the, you know, people say that. He said, the truth is you can't love yourself or anyone unless you are loved and have been loved. You Mm -hmm. cannot create love in a vacuum. If no one ever modeled love for you, you can't just pull that shit out of thin air. Oh, I'm going to love myself now, even though no one has showed me love. And I I don't have a, a current model for someone loving me unconditionally. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm going to do it. Okay. It's not a thing, right? And so learning to love oneself is there's an internal and an external process that needs to happen, right? We need to be surrounded. We need to have a safe, first and foremost, safe environment. We need safe, healthy, trustworthy connections with people around us. You're selling um, my community beautifully right now. Just keep going. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, because there's... <laughs> There used to be a village, you know, it takes a village. There's no village anymore. And we're super disconnected. And we think we're connected because we have 10,000 digital friends. Mm-hmm. But your nervous system measures connection through eye contact and proximity and body language and, and speed of response. There's things that happen in real life that you will never get digitally. And so, um, oh, okay, maybe I didn't just sell your community. That's okay. We, lo- we look at each other in the eyes on the Zoom. That counts. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. It's 
I'm having in-person <laughs> retreats. That counts. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. In-person stuff is, is ideal. And there, there are for sure some, some good online communities uh, mm-hmm. where it's better than zero. But so anyway, we need to be loved. We need to be held. We need to have um, a, a healthy tribe or community of, of people around us. And we have to do the, the inner work of, of learning how to treat ourselves with dignity and respect and boundaries and self-love and all that stuff. Um, because you can't have one without the other. If you're surrounded by good people, but you still hate yourself, you're not going anywhere. And if you're trying positive affirmations and self-love and whatever, but you're surrounded by assholes, that's not going to work either. Mm-hmm. Like you need both of these things. You got to attack this thing internally and externally. And um, yeah, and that's that's what some people some people in twelve step communities receive the message: "Let us love you until you learn how to love yourself." And that's mm-hmm. what they get, and it changes their lives. Mm-hmm. And some people don't get that message. And the problem is it's because every 12 step meeting is run by whatever ragtag bunch of weirdos shows up at that church basement on that particular day. And you have no idea who it is, how sick they are, or how well they are. And so some people go to some shitty meeting and they're like, this is what all meetings are. And it's terrible. And, you know, and then they have this idea of, of what 12 step recovery is. Uh, that's unfortunate, but you know, there's no quality control there. <laughs> what are some other barriers that you see to getting well? Oof. So I recently listened to a book. It always sounds way less impressive than saying I read a book, but I listened to a book <laughs> called Whole Again by Jackson McKenzie. And in this book, he presents this idea of the protective self. And the protective self is, is who we had to become in order to survive. Right. We were kids. We were 100 percent dependent on our parents who are the gods of childhood. Um, and we we needed to be whatever we had to be in order to survive whatever was going on there, whatever abuse and neglect and dysfunction and abandonment. Like we had to compensate and adapt, codependent, hypervigilant, self-medicating, overperform, you know, whatever we had to do something. Um, and so we create this alternate version of ourselves when we're not getting our needs met. You know, if kids are getting their needs met, they feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. They just, they learn how to, to grow into their authentic selves and they have secure attachments with themselves and everyone else. But if they're not getting their needs met, they're like, oh shit, my authentic self is not good enough. I need to be something else. I need to do something else. I need to go to med school. I need to be the captain of the football team. I need to, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I need to go do a thing. And they create this protective self, which um, is not their authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so um, the challenge here is it's, it's, we're living from this armor plated fake version of ourselves. And it's, you can't live from that. You can't experience self love and compassion and, and real connection from this fake version of yourself, this, you know, ego, false identity, whatever you want to call this thing. Um, we can't live from that. But um, the challenge is over years of whatever dysfunctional childhood you had, your nervous system is wired to know for sure that this protective self is your best option. Like mm-hmm. you have to be this person. You have to 
you know, perform or, you know, be quiet or well-behaved or whatever it is, you have to be this version of you or else you're not going to get your needs met. You won't be loved and accepted. And so we grow up and we have this false self. And, and here's the kicker. This false self, like any other self, has um, self-preservation instincts such that it doesn't want to die. And so people will keep doing this false self stuff, you know, which is addictions of various types of substance and process addictions are tied to this. I have to do this false self. People will do that life and death. Mm-hmm. Like they, they will continue doing it. And, you know, literally if, if you're in recovery, you've probably been to a lot of funerals of people who could not stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, a lot of people have this false self, this armor-plated version of themselves that um, it's difficult to do the healing work from that version of ourselves. Like, let's say I have the perfectionist thing going on. I can't do this healing work as a perfectionist because any protective self, literally its only fucking job is to block access to the part of you that actually needs help. So it, it can't do the healing work. Like you can't do it from your fake self. So how do you navigate that when you're working one-on-one with individuals? Oof. It, it's a process and it's different for everyone, which is um, tough, you know, cause you can't, you can't scale the healing process. There's no mass production. Um, so, you know, so I, I coach one-on-one, you know, I'd, I'd count by ones cause that's kind of how it has to go for a lot of people. Um, and we have to identify this thing. So, I mean, step one is like, you got to identify the problem. I think for, for any problem is figure out what this thing is. Um, and so this protective self, we got to find out what does it look like? How does it act? What kind of things does it do to protect you? What is it protecting you from, you know, and get to the heart of, of that thing, whatever unmet need, whatever fear, like all human behavior is, is trying to get a need met or trying to protect us some way or another. Um, so all human behavior makes sense. I mean, a lot of people come to me with all these strange quote unquote problems. We take a look at their childhood and we're like, Oh, this makes perfect sense. That's why you only date long distance, or that's why you only date emotionally unavailable people or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, always makes perfect sense. Um, but I, we have to get really clear on what happened, right? Like Bruce Perry and Oprah wrote this book, What Happened to You? And it's it's a shift from what's wrong with me. People are like, you know, what the fuck is wrong with me? That's the wrong question. <laughs> the question is, what happened to you? Because there's nothing wrong with you. You adapted brilliantly to some abnormal situation, right? Um and and that shift has to occur first and foremost, I believe, for, for everyone I work with and probably for anyone on a healing journey is the shift from like, I'm broken, I'm crazy, I'm stupid, I'm not good enough, whatever shame statements, we have to shift to, no, I became this way for a reason. Mm-hmm. And let's deal with that reason and, and let go of this thing. Because shame, even shame, toxic shame is a protector. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when we're kids and our parents shit the bed, we can either say, one, my parents are incompetent and I'm going to die under their watch. Or two, there's something wrong with me, but my parents are fine. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Every child is going to pick there's something wrong with me. Shame shame is is a way out. Shame is we trade our self-worth for a false sense of security when we need it most because kids need to feel safe. Right? Um so anyway, yeah, we got to get clear on what is this protective self? What are these habits? You know, what, what am I doing? Um, and, and why am I doing it? And, and get rid of that. And, and Jackson McKenzie in his book says, um, you got to stop feeding the protective self. What is it called? Because whole again? Whole again. Yeah. Yeah. You put it in the show notes or something. The book is fire. Is it new? Um, I don't know when it came out. He, I know his first book was called Psychopath Free. And then um, he wrote Whole Again. And I, I think it's, mm. I think he learned a lot in his, in his years and, and since his first book came out. And I think Whole Again is like, it's, 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 it's fantastic. It came out um, in 2019. It's important to, to get the coherent narrative of, of what happened in my childhood, right? Like as long as all I have is it's probably my fault. Mm-hmm. then I'm just going to stay on this shame cycle. Mm-hmm. But I mean, cause think about it, like everyone's born into a childhood they assume is normal. Cause like we have nothing else to compare it to. And we just escape our childhood and, and become adults and, you know, get jobs and cars and mortgages and whatever. Like we just figure out how to be an adult, but most people don't look back and do any crime scene investigation on their childhood at at all their most formative experiences in life Mm -hmm. that they only remember through the lens of someone with an underdeveloped brain who is trying to survive something, you know, potentially traumatic. (laughs) Right. So it's good to go back and go, Oh, this is what happened. And it's not a blame game. It's, you know, we're not, we're not pointing fingers. Oh, it's my mom's fault. Just look at what happened. I mean, humanity's just been procreating and traumatizing the shit out of each other for millennia. So it's, you know, it's not like it's any one person's fault. Like, this is just the human experience. Being birthed is traumatic, if you think about it. Absolutely. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the word trauma just means wound. It literally, it's the Greek word for wound. And so, like, find me one person on this earth who has never been wounded. I'll wait. I'll wait. I got all dead. <laughs> <laughs> show me one person Damn it. i'll be here <laughs> yeah and and so we're just now figuring out a whole lot about how trauma affects us mentally physically emotionally sexually you know all these different ways financially like we were talking about earlier you know like it, it's it's embedded in us mm-hmm. it really affects us on the physiological level it's it's fascinating oh and this is a thing that i, I wanted to share with you dr for Stephen Porges is one of my one of my OGs um, has kind of developed devoted his whole um, so his, his whole career essentially is is studying the science of safety mm-hmm. right um, but to put it simply like if you look at an animal in nature if an if an animal somewhere you know a squirrel or whatever I don't know is walking around afraid you know what all the other animals are going to do they're either going to attack it or run away from it. Because when we are in a, a, a state of fear, we broadcast physiological cues of threat to everyone who's around us. Mm-hmm. So when we're walking around with this fear and anxiety, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And ask anyone with an anxious attachment style, like, you know, it's almost like they're creating abandonment experiences. You know, and, and it may be this phenomenon of like broadcasting 
this anxiety. And then people mm-hmm. are like, oh my God, this person, what's going on here? And they, they pull away. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, can't relate. <laughs> yeah. So what do you have going on? Do you want to shell anything? You want to, um, kind of the same old grind, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I coach a lot, uh, and it's, it's, it's heavy work. I, I call it soul surgery. Did you ever do the group thing? Were you going to do a group coaching thing? I've done a couple classes. Okay. I wouldn't say that I've done group coaching. Okay. Um, I've done a handful of classes in the past and, and they were cool. Um, well, you sound really, I'm super- <laughs> <Powerful>. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, it's yeah. a lot of work. And it, I, and I'm, I'm faced with the challenge of, of, yeah. How do you scale this healing journey? Because it's so different for everyone. And so I'm, I'm, I'm boiling down the essential elements of, of what are common to everyone's journey. And I'm, I'm slowly working on designing a, a digital course that I can, I can sell to people where they can, cause I can only coach so many people at a time. And I, like, I have a wait list, you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I hate turning people away because I know this work is, is awesome and I love doing it, but yeah, I have to be able to reach more people. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm working on a course. And um, working on a book project, you know, just and, and I'm always writing. I publish an article every Saturday at fixyourpicker.com slash blog. Yeah. Free blog. Sign up. No spam. No ads. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. You know, putting out tons of content, trying to, to help as many people as I can. I mean, I, lo- I have this this quiz on my website that when people take it, 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 it kind of zeroes in on their attachment style and it's, it yep. sends them an email sequence with all kinds of helpful links and articles and resources and information. Um, I, I, there's this idea of a sales funnel. Are you familiar with this where you like, you know, get people into your funnel and sell them a bunch of shit. I'm trying to create a healing funnel. Mm. I want to create a funnel where I can get people into this path, into this journey and kind of guide them along a, a, a healing algorithm of sorts. Cause there's certain elements that, that everyone needs to address at some point or another. And so that I'm, I'm working on trying to create that thing. I'm trying to work on creating a funnel cake. Yes. <laughs> funnel cake. It's- they're so good and I always feel so dirty after I eat one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel cheap you. and used. You are you are fixing pickers left and right, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, I, I love what I do. Appreciate you. Yes, yes. And hey, you're you're reaching the masses. So That's you're funny. like, I want I want to be where you're at. I want to be able to help more people. I want to reach more people. So um, Start a you fucking podcast, me. dude. That's how you reach people. Yeah. You need a podcast. Yeah, and you've been resistant, but I think you do. So. Yeah. One day. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, it can even be like, I mean, um, Joe Ryan, who I have on frequently. I mean, his episodes are like 10 or 15 minutes long. You could do something like that. I have faith in you. Yeah. Or like even like turning your blogs into little podcasties. Yeah. I'm going to keep Yeah. And this the- that's the challenge is there's, there's a whole lot of different options and I think I could do any of them, you know? And so I, I really need to just. They're saying audio is like 70% of the media that people are consuming. So yeah. just letting you know that. Yeah. Fair enough. 
people don't know how to read anymore. I mean, you've clearly shown that based off how many times you've told us you've listened to a book. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got me. Yeah. Thanks, yeah no, we'll no thanks for having me. Show notes. People are going to yeah. So. Yep. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could help you on your own journey. As always, I know you did. And as always, if you didn't, seek help immediately. Thanks again to Adam. I love talking to him. Uh, There was like absolutely zero preparation for that conversation, which I love, which to be honest, I really don't, I don't prep that much. I don't have like questions uh, prepared beforehand for any of my interviews. I might have you know, like topics and ideas that I want to discuss. But I think that I do my best work um, on the fly. So I thought that that was a great conversation. Go listen to the other episodes that I had with him uh, and go check out his website and his Instagram and and all that shit. He's really doing a lot of a lot of good work and helping us broken ass picker people fix our pickers. Um, I need to go get ready for my date and buckle up to this dude is all I'm saying. (laughs) Buckle up, buddy. The other thing I was thinking about that I said in the interview with Dr. Morgan was that I said I need somebody who thinks I'm like the funniest person in the world. So hopefully he caught note to that. I better, I better get some laughs tonight is all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, Okay, guys, I love you so, 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 so much. I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Old Jolt Child. It's going to be super awesome. Super super excited. Body hurt. It's going to be a mess. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.